I was so blinded by the introduction of Blaine Anderson that for a brief moment, I lived in a world where the Beast subplot didn't exist. Hello, and welcome to the Sensations podcast. My name is Eliza, and on my drive home from work today, to prep for recording this episode, I was listening to the Glee version of Teenage Dream, and I was at a red light, and so, you know, I was bopping along doing hand movements, and I looked to my left, and there was a gentleman in his car, elderly, bopping along right with me, like staring at me and bopping along, and we had a moment, and sir, you didn't know that you were bopping to the Glee version of Teenage Dream, but I did. Thank you for making my day. Maybe he was bopping to the Glee version of Teenage Dream. You'll never know either. That's true. I can't assume. Hello, my name is Olive. And fun fact about the Glee cover of Teenage Dream, um, there were many Glee songs that reached number one on the iTunes charts because iTunes was big at the time. At the time, if I'm not mistaken, was the longest that a song had been at number one on the iTunes charts. And it is the most successful Glee cover to be released. Yes. As it deserves. Um, Quick disclaimer before we start this episode. As we've previously established, we will be referring to Coach Beast with he, him pronouns to honor his transition in the later seasons. However, this episode does involve a plot line concerning his identity as a cis woman pre-transition. So... um, gonna get this out of the way so we have it on record i do not condone sam sam's actions this episode (laughs) but i i do think he learns something from them and at the end of the the day isn't that what we can only ask for a teenage boy to just learn something he is canonically 15 so like yeah maybe bad choices were made but also he's 15 so this episode opens with um the boys having literally i need to explain something that happened to me last night as i was watching this episode because my mom came into my room and the very first shot of this episode is finn in a bathtub and then sam shirtless about to get into a bathtub just I a had completely to... hetero heterosexual uh activity of taking baths next to your bros next to your bro your hashtag bro. Um, but yeah, so I had to explain that to my mother. Speaking of being uncomfortable, though, they immediately get to talking about the girl that they both dated. Finn and Sam both dated. Finn says he doesn't know how Sam can stand baths that cold. And Sam says he's used to cold showers dating Quinn. And then we get a, f- a scene of... I hate it here so much, truly. There is... There's too much making out in this episode. I'll say it right off the bat. There is too much making out in this episode. I agree. However, the scene is not nearly as bad as the ones we'll get to. Basically, they're like making out. They are sitting upright, which is better than the scenes when they're like awkwardly laying next to each other. And he like slides his hand up her thigh and he's like, oh, we can just do a little something, something. And she goes, a little something, something always leads to more. And she says, we're not doing anything. Um, which valid of Quinn. She gave yeah, birth. Yeah, okay. To a whole, Have your boundaries. Hell yeah. She gave birth last uh, semester. So I don't think she's keen on like God. jumping into the anything. timeline of this stupid show ruins my life. Because it was three- last semester. It wasn't even it wasn't even like last school. It was maybe like two months ago. Yeah. I anyway. Uh, Finn relates his terrible postman story that just didn't even happen to me and it gives me night terrors. Um, Where he hit hit a mailman with his car and that's what he thinks about when he's making out with, well, when he was making out At the out time Quinn. it was Quinn, but currently Rachel. Yeah. So Finn tells Sam, like, okay, you just have to find something, a thought, a, something that you can think of to like cool you down whenever you're making out with Quinn. Conveniently enough, they look over and they see Coach Beast. And Coach Beast is telling Artie that uh, he has to wear a cup because he's on the football team. I don't care if you're paralyzed below the belt. It's We've been shown that he it's functional because he sleeps with Brittany. Um, yeah. 
I mean, like this just seems like basic safety. Just wear it, dude. Next scene, do 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 do. It's Tina and Kurt walking through the hallways like the icons they are, and Karofsky comes and How? shoves them against yeah. the wall. That's like our little reminder for the episode. That's like BT Dubs. Kurt is getting bullied. Um, we go into Glee Club, and Puck is back. Unfortunately, unfortunately. And I think I think it's Will that says like, well, I hope you learned a lesson in there. And Puck's like, nah, I ruled that place. I like lifted weights all day and everyone was scared of me. And Quinn goes, wow, what a catch. No, she's literally like, wow, I cannot believe I let you go. Yeah. <laughs> Which I love that. So they announce the um, two other schools that the New Directions will be competing against as well. So they announce it's going to be this all acapella boys group called the Horblers, and uh, it's the old folks' home. Oh, it's the, not okay. the old folks' home. The the elderly people getting their GEDs. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, say so I do want it noted that Santana goes. Wait, wait, wait! Shut up! A million different gay jokes just popped into my head, and we flash to Kurt, who just looks so tired. And I feel you, Kurt. You know what's upsetting about that too is like. We'll get into this a little bit more in like season, I think it's season five, when Kurt starts working at that old folks home. Chris Colford like has an affinity for old people, likes hanging around old people. So whenever it's brought up on the show, it's actually just Ryan Murphy making fun of Chris Colford. Really? Yeah, like that's a for real thing. That's why he has that plot working with the old people. And um, it's also mentioned in that Santana roast, the famous like hallway roast where she makes fun of him for liking old people too like it's actually just something that ryan murphy wanted to make fun of him for so he like wrote it in ryan murphy meet me in the denny's parking lot this is not a joke um yeah making fun of chris colfer on my podcast on my podcast anyway so will announces that like to get back into the swing of things to get hyped up for sectionals he's going to do another boys versus girls another mashup week as we've done previously um and this time for the mashups the girls are going to do songs traditionally sung by men and the boys are going to do songs traditionally sung by women that comes later yeah yeah um Kirk goes over to the girl side because he is a soprano and like also those are the people that he gets along with here um and Mr. Shu is like no Kurt you have to go to you have to I, you're with the boys um and this is once again showing that like Kurt's feeling a little out of place this is kind of the most where we introduce this episode like this sentiment that Kurt is feeling like out of place and like not the word that he uses later is I'm not challenged here. Um, which is then what prompts Mr. Shu to say, girls, you're, this is all about doing the unexpected. So the girls are doing uh, boy group songs and the boys are doing girl group songs, which as someone who loves a good girl group, I'm here for. Which I think is also like a good theme for the episode. It gets, it helps them be a little bit more creative with the mashups because they've already done several mashups in glee club before so this is like a little challenge for them um so we go from there to a little hallway scene where we see puck like come up and start pushing Artie's wheelchair and Artie extremely intrusive yeah extremely intrusive action in the first place but it's also like Artie is very suspicious of it off the bat too because he's like um you've never been nice to me um, and I don't think it's here. I think we get elaboration on that later. Um, but they walk off. Again, Kurt is trying to walk through the hallway. Karofsky pushes him into the uh, lockers. Locker again. And he's like, oh, you want a taste of the fury? And Kurt's like, what the fuck does that mean? And he goes, the fury. That's what I named my Truly, fist. Glee, the power that Glee would have had if they had just let Chris Colford decide when to say fuck. He should get <laughs> one per episode. Just like a PG-13 movie. He should- and he says, well, with that level of creativity, you could easily become assistant manager at a rendering plant. And Karofsky goes, I don't know what that is, but if I find out it's bad, 
the fury is gonna find you i i know that you like karovsky okay and i'm not gonna get on your case about that i'm gonna talk about it later okay i'm gonna talk about it later i think the actor does a great job sure karovsky walks off after that and then will conveniently comes up around the corner and is like whoa what just happened there they cut into will's office where he's talking with kurt about it and he's like well that's obvious you know something's really getting to you because normally you're just someone who like brushes off what other people think so like something's obviously happened here and lately you've been like acting different acting i don't know uh belligerent or shoving people away and kurt says like well i'm just not challenged here this is this is when they bring it up he says i'm just not challenged here i know that like you don't want me to join the girls but like frankly i'm just unhappy going to this school period because like no one understands me here he's the only out kid in the school which has got to be rough this is where will announces to everyone where the girls are going to do guy group songs guys are going to do girl group songs and kurt's like oh well obviously i have to sing lead and obviously we're going to do Diana Ross, Bob Mackie, like it's going to be glitzy, glamoury, and all the guys are like, oh my god, we don't want to do this. Which, terrible decision on their part, but there's no accounting for taste. And they kind of push him out of the decision-making and they say, well, why don't you go and visit the Warblers? Puck actually goes, why don't you do something useful and go spy on the Garblers? Yeah. Uh, And then Kirk corrects him and says the Warblers. And then he picks up his poster board and he's, you know, screw you. And he he, he goes and he does that. Yeah, icon. Icon status, frankly. And then we're just going to, like, fast forward through this. Basically, Sam and Quinn are making out. And right as they start to lie down, visualizes... She says, say my name. And he says, Beast. He's, like, visualizing Coach Beast in a state of undress, chopping meat, and, like, yeah, like, says Beast, and Quinn is immediately like, what? (laughs) Like, excuse me? I will say, kind of an L on Sam's part to not, like, think of a lie to cover this up. Honestly, that also just seems like one of the easiest lies to come up with, because it's, like, just off the top of my head best as in you're the best or like b as in be mine like you had options my guy or saying like you're a beast as in you're so good at something like beast is a noun too so like yeah i don't know it's not really dirty talk but he could have come up with something better to lie about anyway anyway so quinn is obviously alarmed by how her boyfriend just said his, said the name of his football coach <laughs> his adult football coach's name while making out and she goes and tells sue um about what happened and she's like i need help i'm doing everything i can to rehabilitate my image like i'm i'm dating the cutest guy in school and he would rather be dry helping the hulk Ugh. quinn telling sue this though is of interest to sue because she is still trying to get beast fired from the school um so i guess her plan is to like is to have when publicly embarrass both sam and coach beast with this information because it both like establishes dominance over Sam in their relationship and also makes it seem like Coach Beast has been acting inappropriately with the students. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that that's what it would be, but I also hate it. But that doesn't make it not what's probably the reasoning. From there, we go into like a, a little bit more fun scene, I would say, though, where um, Puck is out on the like big stairway outdoor cafeteria thing they have because apparently this 
broke ass school has this entire outdoor eating area. Logic. Moving on. And Puck is gonna start playing a song, and he's like got his guitar case open so that he can make money. And Artie's like, I don't think you're allowed to be busking in school. And he says, watch and learn, young Jedi in a wheelchair. And they do Bob Marley's One Love. And it's fine. It's, uh, that's, that is how I would define it. It is, clinically speaking, fine. I would not give money to this performance, respectfully. Here's the other thing. Like, first of all, does this performance deserve alkalades? No. Second of all, everyone in this school hates the Glee Club. Like, that is a recurring plot point. Yeah. And, like, I don't know, if I just heard this while I was, like, trying to eat lunch, I'd be like, can you go somewhere else? Or, like, I would assume that they're, like, practicing for something. I would, you know, when, like, a guy brings a guitar out at a party and you're like, oh, God, he's going to start playing guitar. That's what this number gives. It's giving anyway, here's Wonderwall. (laughs) Yeah. Um... And also, it just, like, it has, like, no impact on the rest of the episode, too. So it's also hard to, like, really... Nothing happens! Yeah, in context of the episode. Because Puck is like, we're gonna take this money and take Santana and Brittany out on a double date. Yeah, sure. Whatever! That is an important thing to note, where Artie says, like, oh, I kind of blew her off before, but now I kind of want her back. Not sure why he does. She was pretty shitty to him. We go from there, however. If you thought that I was annoying before. (laughs) Kurt Hummel, light of my life, meets Blaine Anderson, other light of my life. Kurt is in, is on that staircase that I can picture. When I tell you I have this scene memorized second per second, he comes down the stairs, everyone's rushing around him, and he goes, excuse me. And there he is, turns around, light of my life. He turns around and just his wonderful, wonderful. I you take over. I'm gonna be too insane. It's just it's the way they smile. It's so at each perfect. Other. Um, and everyone starts like rushing down the stairwell. Kurt has no idea what's going on, and Blaine, who we don't know is Blaine yet, goes, "Oh, it's the Warblers." You know, every now and then they throw an impromptu performance at the Senior Commons. It tends to shut down the the school. And Kurt goes, wait, the Glee Club here is cool? And Blaine goes, the Warblers are like rock stars. Come on, I I know a shortcut. Grabs his hand. I'm just gonna like eat my entire, you know that reaction image of like the person chomping down on their arm? That's me this, this whole scene. You know the way people feel people including me but i'm gonna use this analogy the way people feel about the mr darcy hand clench this is my hand clench the kira knightley pride and prejudice this hand grab where they both get like a little clever smile on their face and then we cut to them slow motion running down slow motion running with the piano in the background i lose my mind now, um, I will take a brief detour to say, as someone who did in fact watch the Darren Chris live of the 10th anniversary of this episode, wherein he uh, made commentary, but what the part he was talking about was like, this scene, looking back, makes me laugh because it is such like a teenager thing to do, to be like, yeah, they're kind of like rock stars, and then reveal later that he's one of them. Yeah. I <laughs> love him. <laughs> Not only is he one of them, but he is the leader of them. The lead one! Like, the soloist! Anyway, so, also, the way they're holding hands is so stupid, but, like, the fact that they didn't even want to let go of hands to hold hands in, like, a better, less inconvenient way, because they're holding each other's right hand. So Kurt is, like, full-on running with his hand across his body. (laughs) I hope we're giving everyone at home a great visual of what this scene is. Just go back and watch it. Just do it. Do yourself a favor. Just watch it. So, like, you hear, like, the... Like that as it goes in. And Kurt says, I 
stick out like a sore thumb. And Blaine goes, well, don't forget your jacket next time, new kid. And then completely unnecessarily just like pats him on the chest. I think it's Sir, leave room for Jesus. Oh, it's extremely necessary, but it's unnecessary. And that's why it's necessary. Again, if you thought that I was insane about Kurt Hummel, besties, just you wait. It only gets worse from here on out. And then Blaine says, now if you'll excuse me, and turns around and breaks into Teenage Dream, and it's the best thing anyone's ever seen. The way Glee fully hit a gold mine in hiring Darren Chris. They didn't even know the magic that they unleashed. He just has this insane chemistry with everyone he stands next to. Both Eliza and I are making the like Italian Italian hand perfection right hand. The um fingertips clenched together to emphasize the how chef's kiss. Something is the best thing about the scene. I'm sorry, we haven't even reviewed the song yet. Actually, the cover of Teenage Dream is excellent. The I unironically think that this is like. Like, there are a lot of songs that I unironically think are better than the original, but, like, even just on a thematic level, this is better than Katy Perry's Teenage Dream. I can't listen to the Katy Perry version anymore. It sounds weird to my ears. That's so fair. Yeah, the arrangement here is beautiful. I'm a huge fan of acapella music personally. The reason I'm a fan of acapella music now is because of Glee music, the Warblers. I'm not even a fan of acapella, and I think that this slaps the hardest. There's just. There's something so beautiful. Actually, you know, part of the reason I don't particularly like listening to the Katy Perry version is because it's like a grown woman singing to her grown husband about how he makes her feel like a teenager. So he should take off her skinny jeans. And it's like, ugh. Teenage Dream is kind of a creepy song when you remember it was written by an adult couple. But in the context of Glee, Teenage Dream sings about how queer youth do not get the same romantic experiences as straight as the straight majority until they're much older. And Blaine singing Teenage Dream in an emotionally supportive school environment that Kurt was literally complaining about earlier this episode, it finally helps Kurt feel like a normal teenager again. And we see that in just the last couple shots of the song where you can just see them smiling at each other, and it's like, he's home. It's everything to me. And also, I feel like it should be pointed out, not all of them, but most of the people in this scene do more convincingly look like they could be high school students. Agree. Hard agree. I just can't get over how obvious it is that Blaine is singing directly to this boy that he's never met before and doesn't even know the name of. I, it's the love at first sight for me. It's the soulmates for me. It's the soulmates for me. Anyway, back into the B plot of this episode. We get a little scene with Tina and Mike, where Mike is explaining to Tina this thing that's happening with Sam, where, you know, they, they picture Beast to like cool down while making out. And Tina's like, oh, we should test it out haha and like go make out in a classroom they start making out in a classroom and she starts picturing coach beast and she says beast out loud yep um we get another scene in the hallway with quinn and sam quinn is trying to get him to talk about this beast thing a little bit more because she's like which i think is fair yeah fair i do think it's maybe like a little inappropriate for them to be talking about it in school but but when has that ever stopped anyone on this hell show yeah from talking at full volume in the crowded hallway about personal things um but i mean she's right we're she's saying like you know he's your football coach like This makes it really weird for me. Quinn is, of course, kind of trying to challenge Sam on this. She's like, you know, just because I'm not putting out for you, you're getting it wherever you can, including in the locker room with Beast. And Sam's like, stop. Or like, please stop. And of course, Beast is walking by 
right as they're having this conversation. And he's like, um, what? Like, I heard my name. What's happening here? Coincidentally, Mike walks by at the same time and goes, it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> Mike goes, stay away from my woman. Lionel. Objectively funny. I will give it that. But like, I wish it just didn't have to happen at all. Like, I know they got to have a B plot for this this episode, but I just wish it wasn't anything but this. I just wish that it had been, like, anything. Beast, oh, and Will also walks up around the time, too. Both Beast and Will are extremely confused. Um, I am, too, when I know what's going on. And Will kind of gets to the bottom of it, calls in all the boys from Glee Club. They tell him about what they've been doing. And Will is, of course, mortified. And he goes, like, think about how hurt Coach Beast is going to be if he ever finds out about this. I will note here, you know, there's something to be said about Beast being a really, frankly, well-written, well-developed, at the time of this episode airing, a cis female character, plus-size cis female. and that's great because you don't see a lot of plus size women characters being treated with like respect and dignity on shows. And I yeah. think there is a validity to exploring a plot line where like, oh, all the teenage boys kind of make fun of Coach Beast because Beast isn't like the traditional femininity that they would imagine. But I think there is a way to do it without like being so dehumanizing and like actively ridiculing the way that Dot Marie Jones looks. Yeah. And I think that's what I keep going back to on this, where it's just like, it, it's just, it feels gross. It feels icky to watch. Luckily, you know, Will calls them out on it. Or I think it's Mike that says like, look, it's not personal. And Will's like, I know you don't think it's personal, but like. But it's so personal. Yeah, like, it's extremely personal. Like, that's so weird. It's, it's, like, there's no level on which that's not bad. Yeah. Um, And Will tries to put an end to it. He says this ends and Coach Beast cannot know about this. And Mike and Sam go, okay. We go from there to a little scene. We're back at at a peak. We're back at a peak because it is, I I guess they just have like a little coffee shop part at Dalton or something. What matters is that Kurt is sitting on one side of the table from Blaine, Wes, and Daniel? David. It's David. I was close. I was very close. Um, And Kurt says, it was very nice of you to buy me coffee before you beat me up for spying. Yeah. Um, And I think it's Wes that says something that's like, you were such a bad spy, we actually figured it out. So no hard feelings. Yeah. They say, you know, you were so bad at spying, it kind of made me think that spying wasn't the only reason you came. Yep. And Kurt goes, can I ask you guys a question? Are you guys all gay? I love that line more than I have words to say. No burying the lead with Kurt Hummel. He just comes right out and says it. And Wes and David go, no, no, we have girlfriends. But Blaine goes, but I am gay. Oh, win for the gays. Hard W. Hard Hard W. W. Um, And you can see in Kurt's eyes that he's just like, this is how we win. If God hates the gays, why do we keep winning? But Blaine also makes a point to say, you know, here at Dalton, there is a zero tolerance policy for bullying. So everybody gets treated the same, no matter what they are. It's pretty simple, he says. So simple. So simple, Eliza, to just not tolerate bullying at a school. (laughs) So they kind of leave him with that, like, food for thought. It's obviously something that's, like, weighing heavily on him. But then Blaine says, like, hey, let's have a moment alone. And he says, I take it you're having trouble at school. 
and Kurt and explains Kurt, that- First of all, per, first of all, first of all, first of all, Chris Colfer put his left tit in this scene. The way he's like tearing up just ever so slightly. Where is the Emmy? The Emmy for this acting. I like, listen, anyone who's been just on the verge of tears before where you're like, I'm in public and I can't cry right now. So I'm just going to like, it's just brimming right at the eyes. Chris, uh, can you hey. believe that Chris Colfer invented acting during Glee season two, episode six, never been kissed? I do believe it actually. I do believe he invented acting. Anyway, so Kurt explains, you know, I'm the only out gay kid at my school and I've tried to stay strong about it, but there is this guy who has made it his mission in life to keep to make my life a living hell and nobody seems to notice and you can just feel the like helplessness in the misery the oh my gosh and blaine this obviously has an impact on blaine too and he explains you know at my old school i also got bullied and i even complained to the faculty but they didn't care they were sympathetic but it was just kind of a shrug we can't really do anything about it actually like the quote i'll i'm gonna say the quote because i just think it's yeah it encompasses where he says he he went to the staff about it and of course they were sympathetic but they basically went well if you're gay your life is just gonna be miserable sorry there's nothing we can do about it and like the like the impact I don't remember if my mom let me watch this scene at the time. I don't remember. No, and your mom, probably not. I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of this episode because of how heavily it deals with Kurt's lived truth as an out gay kid. Because it was so revolutionary for Glee to portray Kurt Hummel as a sympathetic character. And to really describe what it's like living this life where, you know, you know, you don't want to be defined by your sexuality, but you also feel so isolated from everyone else. And isolation is a big thing that a lot of teenagers deal with because, you know, you want to fit in, you want to make friends, but you're also going through so many changes in life. And then that's just amplified so much when you are a gay person living in such a homophobic world. And you can tell this moment really bonds the two of them as characters. Um, Blaine explains that he left his old school and came here. Um, We actually um, don't get it here, but in a later episode, in one of the prom episodes, Blaine actually explains that he uh, was the victim of a hate crime at a prom that he attended um and that also had influence over him leaving a public school and like having to also come to a place that had a zero tolerance for bullying yep um so he says you know i know tuition at dalton's kind of steep and that's not an option for everybody but you can also refuse to be the victim because prejudice is just ignorance and you have a chance right now to teach your bully by confronting him and calling him out and he says like this is coming from a place in Blaine because he's saying like I let my bullies chase me away I ran away from my problems but you have a chance to like really make a difference at your school and like maybe make it a better place for other gay kids there it's it's an interesting dichotomy to make um, because as we see later in the episode, it's not really a simple thing where like either you just confront him or you don't confront him. Yeah, it's a little bit more complicated than that, Blaine. But also, Blaine, I, this it, is an issue that we'll get into at the end of the episode. But like Blaine is all it's kind of also like he is a teenager right now. Like he's supposed to be a mentor for Kurt. Yeah, but he's. It almost he, makes me in season, in season two, he's listed as a junior. And then they're like, wait, wait, wait. Darren Chris is popular. We need to keep him around for longer. Actually, he's a freshman. He's supposed to be canonically 15 while saying this. 
God. <laughs> um, it, but here's the thing. It, his advice here almost makes me wonder if they didn't come up with that backstory about him being the victim of a hate crime at his old school's prom until later on. Because I don't think the Blaine that has experienced, like, getting beaten up that heavily is the same Blaine that's advising him, like, yeah, just confront your bullies. It's that easy. I definitely think that, yeah. Yeah. So we go to a scene where the girls in the group are trying to design their, and Puck and Artie come in, and they ask Santana and Quinn out on a date. And they don't so much ask Santana and Brittany on a date as go be at breadsticks at this time on this day. And if we don't find hotter girls to go out with, we'll meet you there. If any man spoke to me like that. I would just, I frankly, if I had their number in my phone, I would delete it. I would delete, I would block it. I would block that number. Yeah. I would would never acknowledge their presence ever again. Anyway, they're like into it because like Puck's the bad boy. And now Artie's like kind of also getting his bad boy energy. It sucks. The insistence that Puck is the coolest guy in town. I would rather. God. I would rather unironically eat a complete haggis all by myself. than genuinely think that Noah Puckerman is cool. Speaking of things you would rather eat an entire haggis by yourself than experience we go into a scene with will and beast again beast explains you know all of the students have been really like mouthing off to me lately like you know i'm their coach here and i need the students to respect me and you have this great connection with your students so like can you enlighten me about this like is there something i'm missing And Will is like, I don't think you want to know what's happening. (laughs) And Beast is like, you're the only person at the school I trust. Please just tell me, like, anything I can do. And Will has to tell him. I hate this scene. I hate this scene. I hate Um, this subplot. Well, and, like, what's so awful is, like, there's no... I actually think, I think both actors are doing a great job in this scene. You can tell Matthew Morrison and will schuster is like really struggling with this and he says like you know i don't want you to take it personally they're just kids and you know how they can be um and he has to explain to beast that uh, i guess it's become a thing that when they're making out and they want to cool off a little bit they will picture you and you can just see the like absolute torture in coach beast's eyes to like have that knowledge it just sucks i mean it doesn't make it better if it's a woman or a man this happening to just to be clear we clearly see beast struggling a lot and we will continue to see Beast struggling a lot with his relationship to femininity as someone who is not perceived as traditionally feminine and in my own personal opinion it's kind of what makes his coming out as trans later in the series kind of a curveball because many times early on in the show we are told that coach beast very much wants to be perceived as a woman and like wants his identity as a woman respected no matter what he looks like so that is why the transition later on like rubs people a lot rubs people kind of the wrong way people felt like it was just thrown in at the end Obviously, we are respecting it on this podcast, but I think it's yeah, it's something that you have to take into account when we're discussing plots like this, where like Coach Beast at the time of this happening wants to be respected as a woman so badly and wants to be respected as a teacher as well. And in yeah, this that's moment, the other thing. In this moment, Will has told Coach Beast that he has failed on both those accounts. Yeah, Will says like, "Don't take it personally." And Coach Beast is like, how am I not supposed to take that personally? But literally, how, like, there's no way yeah. that you don't take that extremely personally. Like, yeah. you're only human. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. Um, but at least it's out there now. So we've gotten over, like, the big hump of that plot line. We go into the date scene at Breadsticks with 
Puck, Artie, Santana, Brittany. Puck is telling them this super cool juvie story about how he he totally intimidated this guy. And they're all like, oh, my God, Puck is so cool. Waitress comes along and gives them the check. And Puck's like, okay, guys, we're going to dine and dash. And Artie's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what I agreed to. What I will say is respect your service workers first and foremost at all times. Or die by my sword. And Artie does stay back for a second and slips some money into the bill. So everything's paid for. And he even tells the waitress like, oh, no, you can keep the change. So like tips her well, iconic of her, of him. Um, and Puck comes back in and is like, whoa, dude, like you totally wimped out on us. And we note that Artie is maybe having second thoughts about hanging out with Puck. Gee, we, maybe, you think? <laughs> we go into the girls' number of the, sh- of the episode, which is Star Me Up by the Rolling Stones, mashed up with Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi, which is such a banger. This would be the best song of this episode if Teenage Dream weren't in this episode. I personally think the guy's number is better this episode, but like as they are with most mashup episodes, the guys and girls teams are very close. They're both extremely song strong mashups. Those pleather low heeled knee high boots are the most mid to late two thousands thing that I can possibly imagine. Fun fact: like, you can see Diana Agron almost trip over the mic stand in one of the parts of the song. Good for her. And anyway, during this song. During this song, Kurt, oh, he, he gets a text. He reaches into his pocket. He pulls out his phone, which is so obviously an iPhone, too. It's painful. What does the text say, Eliza? It's one word. And it just says courage. Courage. Oh, all the Glee fans with the word courage tattooed on them. I'm sure you're out there. if you are out there please dm us a picture of your courage tattoo i just want to know if it exists yeah oh i'm certain there's people towards the end of their number or like the the girl's number ends everyone's like oh my god so good becky comes in and hands will a note that says auditorium now and sue ominous yeah will goes into the auditorium it's just sue standing alone on stage Sue is like, look, With two confetti, confetti cannons. cannons. Yep. And Sue announces, we got Coach Beast fired. And Will is, uh, of course, like, we what? And Sue says, well, Beast quit, but I'm going to take the W where I can. Yeah. And Sue explains that, you know, all thanks to you and your Glee kids, that finally drove Coach Beast out of our hair. Which has got to suck for Will. Like, I don't like Will, but, like, that's got to suck for Will. Yeah. And he he's obviously very shocked at this. The funny thing about this scene is Sue lets off all the confetti cannons and then... And then tells him to clean it up. It's very yeah, iconic. He's like, he's like, if you wouldn't mind cleaning that up, that'd be great. So we go into a hallway scene where we see Kurt just staring at the text message from Blaine but this time instead of just the word courage it's courage in all caps dash 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 Blaine this stupid man I adore him what it is is like you know on tv shows when they're like not sure if the audience will understand what the text message is they have to like write a text message that no no real person would ever type. No human being would send. No, um, that literally my grandfather would send. Yeah. As he is staring at this text message while walking down the hallway, though, Kurofsky comes and pushes him into, him into the locker. locker. But this time, Kurt runs after him and goes, hey! And follows him into the locker room, where Kurofsky makes, of course, the same homophobic joke people have been hearing since locker rooms became a thing. I'm afraid you're going to stare at my junk. He's like, what, you're sneaking in here? And Kurt is in a fury right now, just to be clear. Again, the capital A acting from Chris Colfer. And he goes, oh, yeah, every straight guy's nightmare that a gay guy could possibly be looking at you. Well, guess what, Hampock? 
oh that you're not my see. type and their faces are getting closer and closer and you there you think they're gonna like one of them is gonna punch the other and Frankly, and keeps threatening to and yeah. it's just like are you gonna hit me go ahead because you can't smack you can't punch the gay out of me any more than i can punch the ignoramus out of you and right as he says that Karofsky grabs his face and kisses him i and hate it but i have to admit it's done extremely well it's done extremely well like actually so here's the thing here's here's my thoughts on this one of I think the most impactful conversations I ever had about not even my own journey with my identity, but my journey as someone who was raised Christian and raised to believe that being gay was bad. Seeing the character of Karofsky and coming to know that this was a potential that having that amount of shame in yourself that you go out of your way to hurt other people. The realization that there is a potential of someone like Karofsky to exist was essentially the final straw that made me think, no, being gay is fine. God's fine with it. And I remember, yeah. And my mom did not let me watch this scene, but she told me about it after the fact because it is an important plot relevant scene so like she just explained it to me verbally she says oh they go into the locker room and they're arguing and then he kisses him so it's revealed that Brofsky's bullying him because he's gay and I remember having a conversation or this was a separate conversation where I was just like musing my thoughts on it when I was like isn't that like so sad that like someone could be like that that like all that shame and like confusion inside of Karofsky has made him such a violent person that he later this episode gives Kurt a death threat and I remember expressing how upsetting that was to me and my mom going like basically just brushing it off and like not wanting to talk about it and like I know we all know that this trope of like oh the homophobic bully who turns out to be gay So he's only homophobic because he's scared of himself. Like that is nowadays a homophobic trope. I, it was so impactful to me. I assume it was impactful to other people because what's so sad about this scene too is, you know, we talked earlier about how that teenage dream scene, you really get this feeling in Kurt, like, oh my God, I'm home. And that scene ends with just this beautiful light in his eyes. In this scene, Karofsky kisses him, pushes him back into the locker. Karofsky runs away. The light is just gone. We just see this devastation in Kurt's eyes because he's having the realization like, oh shit, not only like, am I gonna, ba- not only am I gonna keep having to endure bullying from Karofsky, obviously, but now it's going to be a million times worse that I have this knowledge. Yep. And that that was Kurt's first kiss. And it, like, really, I'm not, when I say I'm, like, a Karofsky apologist, I'm not trying to, like, convince anyone that Karofsky is a good person. What I'm trying to get across is that the portrayal of a gay person who is so angry with themselves for being gay, I think, frankly, had more impact on me. I think in Karofsky, I almost see, like, not necessarily what I could have been, but I see what would have happened if I let homophobia stay in my life. So I guess that's really all the thoughts I have about that scene. I think the actors both did a great job. From there, we're kind of just left with that. Assumably there would be like a, a commercial like commercial. There. Yeah. We go back into a Glee Club meeting where... Will announces that Coach Beast has quit. Uh, Will is kind of, uh, he's pretty mad at them. He's like, you know, the football team was finally winning and like you guys really treated Coach Beast horribly by doing this. And all the girls are very confused. They're like, what was happening? And someone goes like, oh, well, it was all the boys and Tina. 
and the guys have to explain to the girls in Glee Club that they were picturing Beast while making out was better than a cold shower. And they're all very sorry. And Santana says, can I just say, this is what happens when people don't put out. Luckily, that scene ends. We then see Puck called into the principal's office with his probation officer and Mr. Shu. And we find For out... For that- those of you who are crazy ex-girlfriend fans, the probation officer, I believe, is played by the same woman who plays Rebecca's therapist. Oh my god, yes, this is her. I was right. That's excellent. You pulled a me right there. Love this for me. Um, so we find out that Puck had actually been using Artie as his like quote unquote community service. He had written, I think, helping a crip or something on his probation. Hanging with, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and the probation officer is like, um, that's not community service. And also, I don't think you've even been doing that. She says that she thought that he was going to be doing gang outreach because uh, the Crips is a uh, gang. I hate it here. I hate, hate it here so much. And she says that if Puck doesn't find a real, um, what's it called? A, a real community service to do, he's going to have to go back to to the boys' school. And Puck starts freaking out. He goes, I can't go back there. And then runs out of the office. So we kind of leave that there for now, but it's confusing because obviously earlier the episode, Puck is bragging about how cool he was in Juvie, and now he had all the guys intimidated by him. So it's like, "Mm, something's not tracking there. We go into another just very impactful uh, scene in the episode where Kurt and Blaine are walking up the stairs in this like outdoor and they are Blaine has joined Kurt because Kurt needs some solidarity. They come across it's some backup. Yeah, he needs backup. And they come up they come across Karofsky. They approach him. Karofsky's like, oh no, I gotta go to class. Like, oh, who's this? Who, this is your boyfriend. And they're like, no, we have to talk to you. This is important. We have to talk to you about the kiss, about how you kissed me, I think is what Kurt yeah. says. And Karofsky brushes him off he goes i don't know what you're talking about starts to run away magically the stairwell is completely empty now even though it was filled because with- of course it is logic logic uh ago. and blaine is like now this might be something that's you know hard for you to accept about yourself and he's trying to like genuinely be helpful and supportive uh and then karovsky shoves them into the fence <laughs> yeah Um, they start to like follow after him, but he comes and shoves them both. What's interesting here though, is Karofsky, he like pushes Blaine back, but then Kurt comes along and pushes Karofsky off of Blaine, which is also a moment where Kurt is like asserting dominance because I mean, we see Karofsky bullying Kurt after this too, but I think there's this great realization in Karofsky you can see it in his eyes too, where he realizes like, oh, Kurt's not going to take this anymore. And like, Kurt knows something about me that makes me vulnerable now. It puts Which across- obviously like forcibly outing someone is bad, but death threats are also not good. So yeah, uh, it's a stupid You heard it situation. here first, folks. Death threats are not okay. <laughs> I would really hope that our Glee podcast isn't the first place you heard that. Uh, Karofsky basically runs off with his tail between his legs and Blaine goes, well, he's Blaine goes, well, he's not coming out anytime soon. Yeah. And Kurt just goes and sits down on the stairs and Blaine goes, well, why are, why are you so upset? And Kurt admits, because up until yesterday, I had never been kissed. At least not one that counted. And oh my gosh cry tears sobbing again like you know in the grand scheme of things your first kiss does not really matter but as we've talked about this episode queer kids miss out on a lot of the milestones of romantic relationships that straight teenagers get to go through especially a queer kid in middle of nowheresville ohio in 2010 
he does not know a single other gay person. So like, except Blaine now. Yeah, except Blaine now. You know, is it a big deal in the grand scheme of things to not have like the perfect first kiss? No, it is. But like, it's the sort of thing that is only important if you put importance on it. And Kurt has clearly put importance on it. Well, what I'm saying is like, it is a perfect example. It is what Ryan Murphy has written in this episode with Karofsky taking Kurt's first kiss in this way is a perfect encapsulation of something that should be easy for all teenagers to experience, but is so difficult in the face of homophobia that makes us realize, makes the homophobic viewers at home realize like Kurt physically is unable to have a normal childhood. Yep. And it's not because of him being gay. It's because of the hatred around him. And Karofsky is not able to have a normal childhood. And Blaine hasn't been able to have a normal childhood because of the hatred around them. Exactly. Yeah. It's not because of anything they've done. It's because the environment that people around them have created. And that's a bigger conversation about Karofsky, too. I think I'll get into that a little bit more when we get to, uh, like, the Furt episode. So we go from there to a little scene with Beast and Will. Beast is, like, packing up his things in the locker room, cleaning stuff out. And Will goes, you know, I didn't take you for a quitter. And Will says, he's trying to be encouraging to Beast and says, like, you know, the kids, they really respect you. And Beast is like, oh, yeah, that's just what every girl wants to hear from a guy. And, like, I don't like this subplot. It's not even done well enough for me to respect it, like the the, the Karofsky stuff. I disagree. I think it is done well. I just wish it was done in a way that does not ridicule the fat character as much. I think it was nice of them to do something about, something that analyzes um, Coach Beast's relationship with womanhood. But to do so and have Coach Beast ridiculed by teenagers the whole episode was not the way to do it um and coach beast is like well no like i'm not i'm not staying around here basically coach coach beast's whole time here has been miserable so you know i don't blame him for wanting to leave um agree coach beast explains that um you know high school can really screw people up um a lot of us are scarred by high school A lot of us are scarred by our parents and he doesn't really get into it. But as someone who, I I don't know, I'm not saying this to like get down on myself, but as someone who also like was not really the apple of anyone's eye in high school, um, to see yourself as undesirable from such a young age does something to you in how you pursue Mm -hmm. relationships in the future. And, you know, Beast doesn't really go into it here, but it's something I'm sure many, many not conventionally attractive women have experienced. Many plus size women have experienced, um, you know, almost, it's almost good that Beast doesn't really go into detail because I think that makes it more relatable because we can all kind of apply our own experiences of like, yep, that's what it feels like to just be living your life and know that like, no one sees you as a human being because you're not attractive to them. Uh huh. Um, and Beast and Will sit down, and again, Will is trying to be encouraging, and he's like, "You're you're such a strong person." And Beast admits, like, "You, I'm not gay, you know," which is funny because Dot Marie Jones actually is gay. Um. Again, a sentence that there is a line here that doesn't really track with Beast coming out as a trans male later on, but. He says here, you know, I'm not gay and deep down, I'm just a girl who wants to be loved, which hits. I mean, there's a lot of pain when she says that. Um, And Beast also admits that he has never been kissed. He doesn't have a lot of luck dating because all the men who want to date him are just people chasing like it, it makes him feel like a freak. Because it's people with like fetishes or admit a beast does admit that he's never been kissed and it's the simplest thing a kiss you know it doesn't feel like it should be that much but it also is like a milestone 
to have not gotten past, you know, at this point in adult life, you know, they're both well into their thirties. And Will leans over and they kiss. It happens. Certainly happens. This is certainly something that's happening on my TV screen right now. Yeah. No one can tell me that this is not something that is happening on my TV screen right now. I do think it is a nice, tender moment where Will gets to validate that Coach Beast is a beautiful person who deserves respect. However, I think he could have done it without kissing him. Like, that's exactly it. Like, I... There are so many things you could have done before kissing your coworker who you have no romantic feelings for. I, if someone did that to me at my place of work, I would slap them. Yeah. Like, especially the fuck off that, of me. In that vulnerable moment where Coach Beast is, like, expressing how much issues, how many issues Coach Beast has with, like, seeing himself as a desirable person worthy of love. And rather than Will being like, hey, well... I can help you with that. You know, I really value you as a person and I think you're beautiful inside and out. Just say something like that. Granted, you know, actions speak louder than words, but at the end of the day, if Will doesn't want to date But Beast, why this? Yeah, Will should but why not be this? kissing Beast. Like, end of sentence. Anyway, Beast takes it as a nice and sweet thing and like, they kind of joke about it. Uh, Beast says like, oh, don't try that again with me. Um, and Will invites him to see the boys' number in Glee Club the next day because the boys want to apologize. Oh, and, and Beast agrees to stay at the school. Um, we get a little scene with Artie and Puck where we find out that Puck is going to be picking up trash or his probation officer wants him to be like picking up trash and doing that as the community service, but Puck doesn't want to. And Artie's yeah. like, well, why don't you just go back to Juvie then? Like, I thought you loved it there. And Puck admits that he was actually not very cool at Juvie and that it was terrifying and that he, uh, he was jumped by gangbangers, he says. and On the nothing, first day. Yeah. And no gangbanging happened, thankfully. But they but that's honestly... Still a- troubling experience they weirdly brush over that i it makes me kind of upset because i think they just threw in the term gangbangers as like a scary term to use when like we're not going to analyze the fact that like could have been seriously hurt in that interaction not to be that person but it's almost like prison is bad oh crazy oh my god weird holy fuck um but Artie agrees to help puck out he says um like he's gonna start helping him on homework that um Artie offers to tutor him in algebra while puck picks up trash on the highway which doesn't make any sense but logic we're gonna move on and then we go into a little scene with kurt wearing an absolutely immaculate canary yellow peacoat hell yeah where he is looking at the inside of his locker, where he has cut out the letters from magazines, like a serial killer ransom note, into the word courage. Courage. Put it in his locker. Like Blaine's yearbook photo or something, framed in his locker. This is weird. (laughs) After meeting this guy like three days ago. Listen, you can't say that Kurt isn't committed to the bit. Yeah, um, and while he's looking at this uh, picture of Blaine that he is framed in his locker. Fucking framed in his... Krofsky comes along and shoves him into the wall, and Krofsky is walked off, but we get this feeling, you know, things aren't over between them. And we go into the last scene of the episode where Coach Beast is there in the glee club, and the guys are giving this nice speech to him, you know, just because, and we know that being cool and tough on the outside doesn't mean that you can't be soft on the inside. Love you so much. And they start to compare him to a chocolate turtle where they're like, oh, you're all hard on the outside, but you're like squishy and nougaty in the middle. And Will goes, you're nougaty. Will goes, why don't you guys just get to the song? And so they do. 
And it is Stop in the Name of Love by the Supremes, mashed up with Free Your Mind by En Vogue. And it slaps so freaking hard. I don't think these songs go that well together. Fascinating. I love them. I do think that it's like, maybe there are two songs that maybe don't apply that much to this situation. That There's also that. I just... And I feel this way with Living on a Prayer Start Me Up too. It's it's not that they don't go together. It's that like they're they're interjected in weird ways. Oh, that's funny because I feel like Start Me Up and Living on a Prayer almost go together too well. And now I can't listen to either of those songs without expecting the arrangement of Start Me Up, Living on a Prayer mashup. Fair enough. Um, so with that, the episode ends. And there's actually there's a nice moment with Beast at the end too where he says that he liked the mashup and they all group hug. It's very cute. End of the episode. So favorite song this episode? Can I Teenage take a Dream, wild? obviously. Yeah, take a wild freaking guess and say it's Teenage Dream for you. Personally, I think mine is Stop in the Name of Love for Your Mind. That is one of my favorites. I listen to it all the time. Fair enough. Worst song this episode? Um, it would be it on its own merit, but the one that Puck does so much drastically worse than all of the others yeah one love it's completely forgettable too like i literally didn't even remember it happened this episode exactly like i'm like, just done it's, with it's it. it's a nothing burger so next episode is called the substitute where we get to meet holly holiday played by gwyneth paltrow of Goof fame oh, there's so much happening well and we get to complain all about how Holly Holiday really should have been the main teacher of the show. Honestly. So that's going to be our show. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at SingStationsPod. That is S-I-N-G-S-A-T-I-O-N-S-P-O-D. You can leave reviews on various platforms and we would love to see them and read them. Uh, my mom literally today asked if anyone was still listening to this podcast. So share, uh, like and review and share to prove her wrong. <laughs> yes, there are still people listening to this podcast and they're all and we cool love and you. hot. So hot. Objectively, everyone who watches our podcast, watches our podcast, listens to our podcast is hot. You're welcome. There we go. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye.